Hello and welcome to our final Rock Sound Awards podcast powered by emp.co.uk. Can't believe we've reached the end. It's been an absolute trip. Had such a good time doing this. It's been so exciting. I'm Will Cross, junior editor at the magazine and the host of our weekly Friday podcast. Before we do anything else, final plug, awards.rocksound.tv. Head there now to order your Rocksound Awards bundle. Pick up all 10 of our very special limited edition Rocksound Award covers featuring all 10 of our award winners. Absolutely amazing. Also featuring exclusive interviews and photos, posters from their Rocksound Awards cover shoots, a 2018 calendar, Rocksound Awards sticker, the top 50 releases of 2017. So, so, so much more. So much to get involved with, awards.rocksound.tv. We're so, so proud of this and shout out to all the bands involved. But there's still one more chat to go and it's a big, big one. So our album of the year, like this is a huge award and we've been talking to you guys throughout the year about your favourite albums of the year and you guys have come out in your droves about this album consistently since it came out in June. That band are all time low, that album is Last Young Renegade. An absolute classic in the making. We caught up with Alex Gaskarth about the album. And sometimes when you talk to bands, you know, you're talking, or most of the time, you're talking about a range of different things. So it was great to be able to talk to Alex about one specific thing, in this case, Last Young Renegade, and to dive completely into the ins and outs of everything to do with it, right from its inception, right through to its release. So exciting. So here we go. Here's the amazing Alex Gaskarth on the creation, the writing, and the release of Last Young Renegade, a classic in the making. Last Young Renegade is the Rock Sound album of the year. How does it feel to have won? Hey, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, it feels great. Uh, that is so cool. Um, thank you guys uh, for the, the nomination and the award. Um, no, it feels good. You know, it, it, we put a lot of time and, and effort and, and, you know, sweat and stress and tears and, and all of the things that go into making a record into this one. And, and it was, you know, it was a bit different. We took a couple chances and, um, you know, I feel like it really paid off. I think it took this band to a new place, and now we're in a place where things are more exciting than ever because it sort of just it set us up for um, a future of all kinds of new uh, music, which which is exciting. Awesome, man. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. I'd say couldn't have gone to a more deserving album. So to kind of start at the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. when you were starting to put the ideas down for the album, what spurred the ideas for it in the first place? Because obviously we talked about you exploring many different parts of your sound across your uh, your career. Um, how how did it come to be? Like, is it something that you really wanted to do for a while? Or, yeah, tell us the how, how it began. Um, really, it, it sort of happened very naturally, you know. I mean, we started writing pretty early on, you know, we were still kind of closing out the Future Hearts record cycle when I started writing new material. And um, I think a big component was the fact that I just started writing with no target, you know? Um, I didn't really have a, a goal in mind, but I just I just started, you know, piecing songs together and coming up with new ideas. And um, I think it was that sort of freedom, the creative freedom to just do whatever and try whatever, that sort of made for a change in direction and a bit of a pull towards doing some different things. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was a little further down the line that we realized, you know, we had this handful of songs coming together that, that sounded like something else, you know, it still sounded like all time low, but it, it sounded like, you know, all time low adjacent, at least to what, at least to what we had done previously on the last two records. So, um, you know, it was like, it was very exciting. It was also a little scary, um, because anytime that you start going down that road, uh, you, 
you know, I think naturally question it as well, as far as like, well, you know, the last two records have been working. So do we, do we want to do this? Do we want to kind of make it, do we want to sidestep? Do we want to make a change or, or come out with something a bit different? Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, everything felt so fully formed and everything felt very realized. And as we were writing and, and demoing things out, it all just felt so natural that to kind of fight against it and try to push it back towards being something else or, or getting it back, quote unquote, in a wheelhouse of maybe, you know, what felt more familiar, uh, it kind of took all the songs off the rails. You know, if we ever attempted to do that, it just didn't feel right and it wasn't satisfying. Um, it wasn't scratching, you know, my creative itch, and it, it's, I don't think it was scratching the itch of the other guys either. You know, I, I, I remember, you know, playing them a handful of early demos, and, and everybody was kind of on that on the same page of like, yeah, we were all sort of feeling this. Like, we needed to go um, somewhere a little different this time um, on some songs. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was really lucky that it worked out that way, because I think, um, you know, if it doesn't happen naturally, then I think you run the risk of uh, making the wrong move. But you know, when it, when everybody's loving it and it's, it's just happening as it's supposed to, <clears throat> then I think, you know, that's when you know you're on the right track. Yeah, definitely. So, so there was no kind of arguing between you guys. It was, everyone was very, very much on the same plane in, in how the songs were, were forming and coming out. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, again, I'd say we, were, we got really lucky and I think everybody was in the same headspace creatively as, as far as wanting to do something a bit different and take some risks. Um, you know, I, I don't think that, um, you know, there were, there were definitely some songs that went too far one way or the other. And, but the, the, the beauty of it was that we all sort of recognized it. You know, when it felt wrong, uh, it didn't take one person screaming and banging their hands on the table to, to, like, put a stop to it. It was kind of one of those things where we would all sort of go down the road for a minute. And then, you know, you'd get, we'd hit a roadblock and everybody would sort of look at each other in the studio and kind of be like, this one's not working, is it? And we were all sort of like, oh, yeah, I know. I was totally thinking the same thing. So it was like... It was very much, uh, it was very cooperative and, and not, you know, it wasn't pulling teeth to kind of try the new ideas. Awesome. Yeah, because as well, you mentioned about, you know, coming off the back of Future Hearts as well, which is a huge success. There must have been quite a lot of pressure there. Um, it's also your first time back with a major label. Um, how was it in that sense? Was Because obviously you, you had dirty work on a major and we chatted about it last time. Did it feel like you were kind of going into the major label world again, but with a lot more experience and kind of confidence from that? Was it a much more positive kind of uh, entry into that world again? Um, well, absolutely. I mean, we definitely, you know, signing the new deal, we knew a hundred times more than we did the first time around. But, um, but to be honest, it was also very different circumstances. You know, I mean, the first time we signed to a major, it was, you know, it was a much, we were still in a contract with another label and it was, you know, that whole slippery awkward process of being, you know, bought out of a contract and moved over and shuffled into a new system that was falling apart at the time. You know, we've talked about that a million times over, but this time it was like, you know, we were, we just had no contract, you know, we were, we were, um, we were unsigned. So, um, we had fulfilled our obligations to hopeless and there was no bad blood there or no awkwardness, no animosity, no us going to them and being like, Hey, you know, we, we want to try something different. You know, it was kind of like, the ball was in our court and, and everybody was okay with whatever we wanted to do. So that to begin with, that made everything so much better because there was no, you know, there was just no tension. There was no awkwardness around the, the decision or the process. Um, and then, you know, as far as signing with a, a major, um, you know, we signed with sealed by ramen. And so, you know, while they do kind of fall under the blanket of a major label and, and the Atlantic Warner system, like, 
they're, you know, they're an indie label. They run like an indie label. They're a small, intimate team of people that really give a shit about their artists and their music, and they always have. Um, and that's what really drew us to Feel by Ramen. You know, I think I've said this before uh, <clears throat> in talking to you about how, you know, they were the, actually the first label we ever showcased for years ago when John Janik was there, and they were based out of Florida. Um, and it didn't work out that time around, but this time around, it, it, you know, it came up again. And we still know half the people, half the people that worked there at the time and um, got acquainted with the new people. And it felt just as good as, you know, over 10 years ago when we did it the first time. And so um, it just kind of all made sense. The stars aligned and, and everybody was on the same page. I think what was really interesting, like hindsight being 2020, was, you know, we put out we put out a slightly different sounding record. And I remember when we first started rolling out songs, you know, we, we led with Dirty Laundry. And that's arguably one of the probably more left of center songs on the record as far as all time low catalog goes. Um, and I remember like seeing the responses to it. And, and at first I was really, you know, so stoked to see that most people were really into it, but there was always, you know, there were always the people going like, great. This is what happens when a band changes labels, the label makes them change their sound, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we kind of had to laugh because it was like, we knew this was going to happen. You know, <laughs> like, we signed this new deal and we make a slightly different record. And then, you know, you're cursed to have some people triggered by it that want to say, um, you know, they've sold out. They're, they're being manipulated by the new system. It's like, no, it's not how it works. Um, and we, you know, we, we had half of the songs written when we signed there. Um, but what was great about Fuel By is, and what is great about them is they, they, it was actually the complete opposite. You know, they didn't impose anything on us. They had, you know, a, they were really passionate about the vision that we went in and sat down with them to talk about. You know, the first couple of meetings, uh, involved us explaining to them that it was like, look, you know, we feel like all time was in a place now where we're ready to grow and do some new things. Um, you know, we don't just want to come in and make, you know, so wrong. It's right. 2.0, you know, it's not, that's not where we're at. So if that's the kind of band you're looking for, you know, this isn't the right partnership. And they were like, no, no, no. Like you guys need to do you, you know? And, um, that, that was what was so appealing about them is that they've been so supportive of, where we are creatively and where we are as a band now. Um, and they were, you know, they're interested in the future and building it out rather than kind of, you know, sticking to the basics, uh, which, you know, might be the easy way out, but it's, it's ultimately, I don't think sustainable for bands when they do that for too long. Um, so yeah, it was, it's, it's been, it's been really cool. You know, it's a great, great family and they really, they have their shit together over there. Amazing. So, so when the songs themselves started to uh, to take shape, obviously you know you'd already written parts of the record before you signed that sort of thing. So when you're actually in the studio, being a really positive process, was it quite an intense process as well? Because you know we, we've we've chatted before about there's so much going on on the album. You tried so many different things. Did that lead to quite a quite an intense process in terms of you know wanting to get everything absolutely bang on? Well, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, one of the main reasons being that we had written a lot of these songs at different times. Um, and so, you know, we had probably 40, 50 songs going into the studio oh, wow. and, um, whittling that down to 10 is no easy process. And, and, you know, it's like getting the right ones that gel together and make for a body of work that is relatable from front to back. Um, that's the trickiest part. And so I think a lot of the stress kind of stemmed from, or the pressure in the studio stemmed from trying to make all the pieces fit, you know, cause it's easy to write a song or, you know, or many songs, but it's not as easy to get them all to, to play nice together in the context of an album and, a, and an, 
you know, as the kids call it, an era <laughs> of, you know, for the band. So it's like, uh, so it's like we, we were kind of building this aesthetic and, and trying to come up with, um, you know, a uniform sound for the album. And, and that's kind of where the, the, the kind of character piece and the story came together because we, we had these songs, like, you know, maybe four songs that really felt like they could act as cornerstones for the record. And that was Good Times, Last Young Renegade, uh, Dirty Laundry. And um, I guess at the time it was, uh, it was Life of the Party. And um, those, those four were kind of like, okay, these are all very different songs, but they're all really, you know, we thought really good, strong songs and, and kind of sound like you could build something around this. Um, and so from there, we kind of used those four as the kind of the stepping stones to get the rest of the songs and pull them all together and figure out, you know, what songs felt right and what didn't. Um, and, and it was, uh, it was really cool because, you know, chasing that down and, and, and kind of going back and listening to old songs that we had recorded, like, you know, the first, the demo version of Dirty Laundry, for example. And then we're like, okay, there's a synth on there that we could pull in and use on Nice to Know You. And that would make those two songs gel a little better. Um, and that was, that was a lot of the process. We've never done it that way before, as far as, you know, spreading textures out across the whole body of work to make things feel connected. And I think, I think that really helped as well. You know, I think that kind of made it that much easier to see the big picture. Amazing. So, so to go inside that kind of cohesion, you know, that you were pulling together for the album, I mean, like, um, good times, you know, it's like you mentioned and, uh, life of the party, you know, life of the party is almost like a club banger and good times could be, you know, a chart pop radio hit, but then there's so much other types of stuff going on across the album, despite the pressures of kind of getting that to be cohesive, that must've been so exciting at the same time, because, uh, like, did it feel like you were, you were genuinely kind of breaking new ground? Uh, for us, it certainly did. You know, I mean, it was, it was, one of the first records where we really made a conscious decision to, to not just lay in walls of guitars and, you know, the, the, the bread and butter, I guess it was, it was sort of like a, um, you know, every time, every time we record something that felt easy, we would sort of stop and question it. Um, not in like a foolish way, like not in a, this is good, but let's scrap it anyway, (laughs) but more just like, so the obvious thing to do here is play a D power chord and then a G power chord. And you know what I mean? (laughs) And instead of, you know, when, when that felt like the logical way to go, it was like, no, 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 let's stop. Let's dial it back and let's figure out a better way to accomplish that feel. But by doing something we've never done before. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where we started pulling in the analog synths, And we went to this insane, uh, gear shop in, in studio city in, in California. And, um, rented and bought a ton of weird guitar pedals that I'd never even heard of before and just sat there for hours, like coming up with sounds, you know, trying to make things sound like they're not supposed to sound, um, you know, singing guitar solos into a pickup and then blasting it through a, you know, compressor and an amp and, and seeing how that turned out, you know, it's just, just shit we had never really done before. And, and it was fun and creative and uh, at times kind of whack and goofy and we didn't use all of it. But um, but it it made the process feel really exciting again, and I think it put us in a you know we all grew as musicians because of it, and I think when it's your seventh album, if you can do things to make you grow um, and not get too comfortable, uh, then that's a good thing. 
Yeah, definitely. As well, you know, like it sounds like you were really kind of stepping out of your comfort zone across the board. I mean, you've got songs as well, like Nice to Know You and Drugs and Candy as well, that are kind of classic all-time low bangers as well. Like, were you being sure to kind of not leave fans totally in the dark and sort of still leave a, a few things that were sort of more quintessential all-time low in there too? Absolutely. I mean, in a way, yes. You know, it's it's. I don't know that it was so much a conscious thing of going like, well, I hope we don't leave people behind. I think it was just more that, you know, we started seeing the collection of songs come together and at times we were like, okay, there's not enough tempo. There's not enough, you know, drive. There's not enough. Um, you know, we need those moments still because at the end of the day, what it all comes down to for us is our live show. And, you know, we don't want to put out a record that's 10 or 12 songs of slow jams. You know, it's like, it's just not really conducive to what all time has always been about. So, you know, even if there's, it's slightly more spread out or more dynamic, um, on this record, like, you know, it was still really important to us to, uh, you know, go after the right field and, and at the right times, you know, like, um, drugs and candy was actually written super late in the, in the writing recording process. And it was because it felt like at the beginning of the record, we didn't have enough of that energy and that tempo. And so, you know, it just kind of, we were like, we need, we need one more to kind of slot in a track two or three to kind of give us that quintessential, like, okay, this is an all time low record. Awesome. Yeah, cause as well, you know, on the other side of the fence as well, you know, you guys got Tegan and Sarah on ground control. Where did that come from? Was it that, because I mean, you know, obviously you've had guest features um, across your albums before, but I'd say this, maybe this was like the most out there you'd done to date. How did, how did Tegan and Sarah get involved? Well, to be honest, it was kind of a stroke of luck because we, I, we didn't really know them. You know, I think we'd crossed paths with them maybe a couple of times, but um, you know, we, we didn't really have a pre-existing relationship. And, um, that song ground control was one that I was really, really fond of, um, for a long time, like right up until the last minute, we didn't even know if it was going to make the record because we didn't, we knew that it needed a feature. We knew that it, it was kind of written with that in mind. Um, when we, when we wrote it originally, we had a female sing the, the chorus part, um, because it was sort of always meant that way, uh, and intended that way. But then we didn't really know who to, actually have a peer on it, you know, and, um, it wasn't until, you know, we, we sort of, we, we thought about it and thought about it. And Jack and I have been listening to Tegan and Sarah a lot. I've, I've listened to them for a long time, but for whatever reason, it was just kind of this happenstance moment where we had their record on in the car <clears throat> and it was like, uh, you know, no shit. This is sitting right in front of you kind of moment. We were like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Tegan and Sarah, what about them? Um, and so we, we reached out, we contacted their management and, and, hit them up and basically just send them the song and said, Hey, like, we love you guys. We love the music. Um, would you like to be a part of this? And, uh, it was just kind of one of those nice moments where I guess they've listened to us a little bit as well. And there was that like mutual little like respect. And, and, uh, so they cut it and it brought the song to life for me. It like completely answered all the, all the questions I had about it. And, um, from that moment on, I was like, yeah, this absolutely belongs on the record because to be honest, thematically and, lyrically in, in, in the context of the album. The album gets kind of dark and it's sort of about this character arc of someone hitting rock bottom and then finding their way out. And so that song actually became really important in being the, the turn, sort of the hopeful turn on the album. Um, and so, yeah, they, they really kind of like brought it home for us. They sort of, they sort of like carried the record to the, to the end. I mean, yeah, because that's just where I was going to go next in terms of the uh, the story arc and the lyrics behind the album. I mean, is it completely story-driven or, or was was any of your own experience channeled into the lyrics as well? 
No, I mean, a lot of it is personal experience, you know, whether it's, whether it's myself or someone close to me or people I know, um, you know, most of it stems from experiences I've had, uh, playing music and playing in a band and living a, just a very disconnected, odd lifestyle. Um, one that is really tumultuous, one that has a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, it's very stop and start and, and that can take you to really high highs, but also really low lows. And, um, I thought that it was, uh, you know, it was a cool parallel because I think in general, the journey of anyone growing up, uh, sort of mirrors that, um, you know, no matter what walk of life you come from. Um, and so it, I just felt like an interesting way to approach writing those topics to be able to write very personally about things that, you know, some people might not be able to relate to because they haven't spent 14 years touring, um, and, you know, seeing people on drugs or, or, you know, struggling with depression or, um, you know, homesickness or, uh, you know, just feeling generally disconnected because of, um, being a million miles away from the people you love, things like that, things that people don't necessarily, um, you know, directly relate to, uh, it, it became a good way to tie those things to pe- to things that people do relate to in, in, I guess, a more, you know, normal lifestyle. And, um, you know, doing it through the character allowed me to write, to take some liberties. You know what I mean? I didn't have to be a hundred percent on the nose with, you know, what I was saying and what I was doing and what I was willing to divulge and what I was not willing to divulge and, and things like that. And I think it, it became a really good device for, yeah, like I said, just, venting some personal information and personal feelings um, that maybe I wouldn't have been comfortable with writing or singing uh, if it had been, you know, today I did this, that, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, that's amazing. So, so on the kind of sonic side of things as well, we, we chatted about this again last time as well, but, um, you know, we were chatting about th- songs like Dirty Laundry and Life of the Party working well on their own as singles, but kind of the main point of the album to be listened to as a proper body of work. I mean, it, was that a reaction in some ways to the instant nature of, of music in this day and age and, and people kind of not wanting to give that time and patience that albums deserve? Did you kind of want to try and bring that back with this album? Um. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I, I think, it again, it, some of it was sort of unintentional. It just kind of came to be that way. Um, you know, like I said, I don't think when we set out making the record that that was the plan. Um, but it just sort of, things started falling into place, and the the, the picture kind of became clearer the further down the road we went. Um, but, you know, there is a part of it that I'm really proud of in the fact that it's like, this is a body of work. And, yeah, you can you can listen to a couple songs if you want, and that's fine. Um but, you know, it was, it was meant to be listened to, you know, front to back a few times over to really, like, kind of process what's in there. And I think, you know, what, what makes me happy about it is not, you know, it's not this convoluted, like, self-serving, look how good I am at crafting something amazing, because it's really not that. It's not meant to be a concept album. It's not meant to be grandiose. Uh, you know, that was never the intention. And, you know, to be honest, I don't think that's, <laughs> you know, really what all time has ever been about. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're sort of a, a fun rock band, but, um, it, it's, uh, I will say that it was gratifying to have people come to me after the fact and say people that I didn't expect to say it, uh, to have people come to me and kind of go, wow, like, you know, I, I, I didn't fully understand this at first. I wasn't sure where you're going with it. You know, when I heard dirty laundry, I was confused. And then I listened to the record, you know, six, eight, ten times. And I keep hearing new things and keep finding new things. And, you know, I'm noticing how the songs connect and things like that. And that's really rewarding just in the sense that, you know, that was the intention. That's what we put it in there for. And, and it's cool if, 
if a few people see it and uh, and get it, um, then that's you know that's our job done. So you know it's exciting when those moments come to be for sure. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, it's telling, you know, that whenever we put out the question on things like Twitter and Instagram, you know, of like, what's uh, what are our readers or listeners favorite albums of the year? It's been people in droves saying last young renegade. I mean, do you think in that sense, do you think and with all that considered, you know, with there being so much going on, like you say, with people coming up to you and saying that the more they listen, the more things they're hearing and it's revealing its secrets, the more they listen. Do you think that that kind of suggests that people are very open minded? Do you think there is a real open mindedness in how people listen to music these days? Absolutely. I mean, across the board, I think, uh, you know, genre lines are blurring. The way people consume music has really opened everybody up to a lot of different, you know, styles of music and sounds. And, you know, I, I always kind of joke about the fact that I remember, you know, like back when I was maybe 12, 13, um, I remember you, you really like, and part of it is just about being young, but like I remember consuming music in a way that was like I listened to one style of music and if anybody found out that I also bought the Backstreet Boys record, they'd call me a poser. You know what I mean? But like genuinely, I loved, I, I loved pop. I loved punk. I loved, you know, reggae. I loved, you know, there were all these genres that I listened to, but it wasn't okay for me to admit that I listened to those other ones if I wanted to listen to, you know, what, whatever it was, punk or whatever. And I think this day and age, people are in no way bashful about, you know, listening to, a Bring Me the Horizon record followed by a, um, I don't know, Taylor Swift record followed by a whatever, you know, Khalid. You know, it's like it all kind of goes hand in hand, and, and the way people process music is really exciting because of that. And I think you're seeing a lot of artists sort of bend genres because of it and try new things. Um, and so it felt like the right time to to go into it with that in mind, you know, make a record for people that like listening to records and, and um, yeah, just, just put it out there for, for music fans because I think, Music fans are more passionate than ever about what they're listening to. And, you know, we wanted to do something that would serve the longtime fans as well. You know, we needed, we needed to change things and we needed to evolve and step forward creatively for the band. But, you know, it was also putting something out there that was different for people that have been listening to us for all seven records. Yeah, definitely, 100%. I, I mean, as well, listen back to it now, you know, it's now it's been with us for a considerable amount of time. People have been able to absorb the songs. Are you still very proud of it? Like, are you really, really proud of the risk that you took and the way it's paid off, kind of listening back? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the, the, the biggest thing is, is when we play the songs live, um, you know, we're, we're out on tour right now just finishing up the European leg of, of the Young Renegades tour. And, um, you know, it's been so amazing to see the kind of crossover of, of old fans, new fans, and how they're responding to the new music. You know, we're playing a lot of new songs in the set. You know, it's a long set. And I think, you know, we play five or six new songs off a 10-song record. Um, and just the fact that people are screaming along to those songs uh, is really, um, you know, it's, it's rewarding because that doesn't always happen. You know, people, people sometimes get to record seven and they're like, eh, just play record four. You know, it's, and, and it's, we, I feel, yeah, I feel very lucky that we're kind of in a place where the new songs are almost doing, you know, doing more for us live than, than some of the old stuff. And, uh, you know, that's a great place to be um, when you're in a band that has no intention of slowing down or stopping. You know, we want to keep moving forward. 
Oh, definitely, that's amazing. And, and with that said, going into the future, you know, 2018 and beyond, obviously it's still early days as opposed to anything new or anything like that. But like, does Last Young Renegade hint as where All Time Low could go? Because, you know, we've kind of touched on it already in our chats. But I mean, does this kind of leave several or many doors wide open as to where you could go sound-wise? I think ultimately it leaves a lot of doors open. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we're in a place where we're going we're gonna to make another record that sounds like Last Young Renegade. I have no idea. It's too early to say. But, um, you know, what I, what I do know is that our fan base has accepted something that's a bit different for us. Uh, we, you know, people didn't balk at it, and, and people bought in. And to me, that says that All Time Low can continue to try new things and, you know, go down different roads and that people are going to stick around and, and enjoy the ride with us. Um, and I will say that that makes you know, that makes the process that much more exciting and fun for us because, you know, it, it, you're, not, you're not afraid of longevity at that point because, you know, you know, 10 years down the line, you know, we, can, we could be doing something completely different. We won't be bored. <laughs> you know, we can keep things interesting and exciting. And, and it's, uh, you know, I'm very grateful that our, our fan base lets us do that. You know, there are, there are some, um, you know, some artists that don't really have the uh, ability to do that. And, uh, you know, I think we're very lucky in the sense that our, our fans give us a very wide lane to, uh, to work in. So that was our very special chat with Alex Gaskarth of All Time Low, the creators of the Rock Sound album of the year, Last Young Renegade, an absolute classic in the making. Man, I can't believe this is the last chat. This has been an absolute journey. It's been a trip. It's been so exciting. We hope you guys out there have enjoyed it as much as we had. So before we go, final, final time, awards.rocksound.tv. Head over there right now to pick up your Rocksound Award bundle and pick up one of or all 10 of our very special, exclusive, limited edition Roxanne Awards covers featuring all 10 of our Roxanne Awards winners. Also featuring exclusive interviews, photos, posters from their Roxanne Awards cover shoots, a 2018 calendar, Roxanne Awards sticker, the top 50 releases of 2017, so, so much more. The Roxanne Awards powered by emp.co.uk, awards.roxanne.tv. I just can't believe this is over now. It's been absolutely amazing. Talk to us. Let us know who's been your favorite interview. Let us know who's been your favorite band, your favorite category. Talk to us. Let us know everything. It's been great. 2017, it's been amazing. 2018, reckon we can match it? I reckon we can. Guys, we salute you. We'll see you then. All the best. Peace out.